I had an <clears throat> overlap at my assistantship in First Doctrine with Ian McLean, and Ian used to start the children's talks. Boys and girls, I, and men and women too. And so today I want to start by saying, Keela, Kira, Lois, Thomas, Mark, Tom, I, and men and women too. So I said to them, I was going to be sneaky, I was going to speak directly to them, but they weren't kidding themselves, I was trying to get to you through them. So listen as we go in this journey. It is always a thrill to come to the first, or the communion in November, because it happens to be the eighth this week, not the first. Because we see before us those that we've watched growing up in Fitzroy, and I've only been here six years on Friday, if you're counting times, and I do, six years the actual day. 13th of November, um, 2009. And I've watched you guys grow. Knew some of you. Had a vodka before it. Kira I used to see at GB and um, uh, in school in uh, Stranmillis where I was doing assemblies. So I've known most of you for six years. And the truth is that what I said in the introduction to the song is that the pastor has a love for young people that you maybe don't at times understand. And we remember things. Um, I have memories, obviously, of four of you more than the other two because I was on a bus with you for days and planes and all of that. But I can remember moments in those trips um, that I will always remember. I will always, Mark, step away from the vehicle at one of our wonderful uh, mystery meals uh, for Caitlin's birthday. You're a man who can do a bit of acting, Phil, and... We laugh still in our family. It's sort of folklore in our family. Every now and again, Mark's voice comes out. And Keila, the best paella in the whole world is in your kitchen. And I've had conversation with you around that huge, um, he makes great paella. Do you know what happened to me? Sorry, I'm having a conversation, but men and women too. We went to Spain and because of your dad's paella, I thought, I'm having paella tonight. It was disgusting. It's not anything like what your dad makes. So I have memories of all of you as you've grown up. And I do say to the parents of the younger ones who come forward or who make a noise that they, the contribution they make to this community is huge even before they can come before communion. But what's going to happen today is really for you guys, in some ways in your journey of faith, you're not coming to the front here to commit your lives to Jesus because we've watched you do that in different ways through your lives. Graham has spent time with you, no doubt. We were asking upstairs, how does Graham do it? Because you all love Graham. Everybody comes out of these communicants classes and they all love Graham. And so Paul Bowman and Rory and myself are trying to work out what is Graham's secret to the love that our young people have for him when they go through these communicants classes. And, and you've talked about your testimonies there. I know that and your journeys of faith and what's been important in your lives. So it's not a moment of salvation this morning. But we hope it's a real important moment in you in your development of your faith. And when you come to be members of this church, I don't know how in any more ways than you have been. You've led worship, you've done some great drama, Lewis. Those facial expressions are amazing. In Uganda, if you needed somebody at the drop of the hat to do something, Thomas Carey was always there with a few words, drumming, all kinds of things you've already done. But what could we bring to you as we come to take these vows in a moment or two? I went into, I've been uh, doing the lectionary, if you're a visitor with us, I've been just for the last few months following the lectionary, which is this universal kind of all these different readings that people around the world preach on certain Sundays. 
And it's difficult sometimes for me to work out in those passages what's right for Fitzroy. Well, let me tell you, I felt for the guys who were doing the lectionary this week. Because as I opened them up, I was thinking, okay, whoever you were, two or three years ago, when you came up with the chapters for this week, you had to consider new communicants, Remembrance Day, all kinds of different stuff was going on in this. And Psalm 146 that Manda read for us seemed to me to just give us a few things that I could point to you guys as you come to take these vows. It starts with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. And for us, part of these vows that you're taking today is not a personal vow, though that is in it. The vows mainly are saying that you will commit yourself to this community to the community of faith beyond this and to serve God in the world. And it seems to me that the Psalms particularly, and I've preached in more Psalms this year than I have for a long time, the Psalms give us a place where they say that the place of communal worship is absolutely vital for our journeys of faith. Now here's the thing. Going to church does not change the world. Going to church does not make you a Christian. You don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. I hear that all the time. And we're in a world where, I'll be honest, Fitzroy, that's pretty much the attitude. If there's not a holiday going on, or if there's not something going on at the coast, or there's not a cookery school this particular week, sure, we'll go to Fitzroy because that's what we do in the weeks that we have nothing else. Forgive the pastor's angst there. It's the world we live in. And I agree, you don't have to come here to be a Christian or even a member of Fitzroy because, let's face it, Fitzroy's not a Sunday morning service. Listen to all those announcements that we've had. It's much more than that. But the Bible, well, it has a different focus on it than that. It seems to suggest that something's going on here once a week that changes all the other stuff that church does. So my Facebook of the week, I always have a Facebook quote that comes in within 24 hours of the sermon. I go, oh, and it came in and it said that very thing. Going to church doesn't change the world. Being church changes the world. And I agree with that totally. Here's the thing. Eating together doesn't make a family. If you never eat with your siblings or parents ever again, won't change your relationship with your family. But I'll tell you something. If you eat with your parents and your family once a day for the rest of your time with them, that will define family. That will energize family. That will fuel family. That will make your relationships special. I'll confess to you that as parents, well, as father, I'll not speak for Janice, I've been pretty poor as a parent. And probably the one thing that I will always look back and say we did right was we've never, ever had an evening meal in the house somewhere other than around the table. Now, there are times in the teens when that's not easy. You have brothers and sisters. There's a bit of a row goes on, and I'm wanting a wee bit of quiet after a long day in Fitzroy. But we still maintain that one thing. It doesn't make us a family. If we never did it, it doesn't change the fact we're a family. But I believe it transforms family. We hear what's going on. We find out what's going on. We remember each other's faces. We relate in a way that's different because we've been together. So can I say to you, you're taking vows later on about committing to this fellowship. 
And can I say that's one of the things that I, not as a pastor, not because it's my job and I need people here every Sunday, but the power of this fellowship in this community and the world will be strongest when we are together in this perspective of place every Sunday. Perspective of place. That's what it's about. Going to sing songs and worship to God. That's what it's about. We're going to listen to God as God speaks to us. That's what it's about. We're going to pray to God. But I think all of that is because God wants us to get a different perspective than what's going on out there. Because you guys live in the loudest and brightest world that there's ever been in the history of the world. I used to say, and I probably can't say it anymore, about 15 years ago, the moderator of the General Assembly Assembly would get up every youth night. There used to be this great big youth night. They had two nights of it and you couldn't get tickets. And the moderator would get up every year and he would look down and he would say, young people, I remember being your age. And I'll say it again today. You don't. You don't. You don't have the first clue if you're over 30, maybe 25, what it is to be their age. Don't think for one minute that the wisdom you gleaned from being a 16-year-old 20, 30, 40 years ago has any bearing on what it is to be one of these kids today because they are under a brighter, louder, more intense kind of world than I ever experienced or thought. So let's not patronize them. Let's admire them. Let's support them. Let's pray for them. So in that bright, loud world where your friends are telling you all kinds of stuff, to come together for an hour with other people and before God and find that place where you are in the universe That it's not just you in your bedroom with an iPad or an iPhone. But it's actually you in relationship with others. And you in relationship with a transcendent God that changes the perspective on what's going on around it. That happens in this psalm. Because it shifts from worshipping God to the things we don't trust in. Do not put your trust in princes or mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. There are so many people after our attention. So many people who can give us wisdom. So many people who can tell you, if you drink five bottles of wine a day, it will save you from a heart attack, but nobody mentions the liver. There's all kinds of people giving you all kinds of wisdom that actually sometimes don't trust very much of it. Listen, yes. Take it in, yes. But be very, very critiquing of it all. Even those who speak to you the morning you come to communion, don't listen to what he says and just take it blank. Go and investigate. Trust in God, not these other people or things or trends. And then the psalmist kind of tells us when we get that perspective, when we come into the house of God, when we put ourselves in the relationship horizontally and vertically, get that shift of focus. What would it be that God would be focusing on? Happy are those, blessed, content. And can I say that happiness is a short-lived thing? Blessedness and contentedness is almost an antithesis of the world. The world never wants to be. The world's message is not to be content because if you're content, the profits will fall because if you're content with what you've got, you're not going to buy the next thing. So if you're content with an iPhone 4, 
They don't want that. They want you not to be content till you get the six and then the seven and then the 53 that will be coming along in your lifetime, but probably I'll not have one of. Contentedness is not something that the world around you sees as something that could be got now. Whereas the Bible is constantly talking about this contentedness, this happiness, this blessedness that is deeper. Blessed, content are those who help, whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. We talked about that last week. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Here's what he does, this God, that you're about to say and commit that you follow. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Now, listen to those words, because those are the words that Jesus used from a different part of the Old Testament when he got up in the synagogue that first day. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. So when we change that perspective and we see who God is and who we are in this fellowship, suddenly that changes what we make of the world outside. We're not living in the world outside for ourselves. The focus has shifted. And we're living in the world outside for others. I was at... Ricky Ross was was my musical hero. He was in a band called Deacon Blue. For you guys, the best way to say it is the next time the the boots ad comes on, ooh, 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 that's Ricky, okay? And Ricky was um, singing this week, and it's actually strange because because Ricky's my friend now, I had this really awkward moment. I was in the toilets in one of the uh, apple greens in the south, and um, suddenly Ricky started to sing to me. And I'm thinking, I really don't need my mate singing at me when I'm in this particular position. It gets a little bit awkward that way. So anyway, Ricky was uh, this week um, singing in, in, in the Empire. And he broke into this song, one of the first songs he's ever written, which is about Jim Ponton. I don't know why that means in to some of you, but Jim Ponton was the youth guru at the end of the 70s and the early 80s, long before yous were even, maybe even thought of. And uh, he has this song called Riches about Jim Ponton dying really young. Jim Ponton was the first speaker at the Youth Reach Festival that the Presbyterian Church used to run. He was a pioneer of youth work and detached youth work and all that kind of stuff. And Ricky started to wax lyrical about Jim Ponton. He said, this was the man who told me and taught me what it was to live in the kingdom of God. Because what he did was he just gave everything he had away in order to change the life of the others around him. If he saw somebody was homeless, he just gave away what he had in order to make their life better. He didn't think about himself. He just gave it away, the kingdom of God. Jim Ponton in worship had got perspective on who he was in the eyes of God, who he was in the community around him, who he was in the world he lived in, and then started to implement the things that God did, became a follower of Jesus. We call it 1010, life in all its fullness. And so my prayer for you doesn't start today because I've been praying for you for six years. And I've watched and I've been there and I've seen moments and I've prayed in those moments that you find this life in all its fullness that some of you have had on your sweatshirts. We maybe need to get new ones too because they're a bit used by now. But that that 1010 will go into your life and you will live life in all its fullness because you will know your place before God and his community and then as his servant in the world. And here's the thing this morning. Here's the thing this morning. It's a story I tell a lot and I love the opportunity to tell it again. As Johnny was singing, the key thing in the song I hope you picked up was the war's over 
we won. What new world did we begin? Think of that person of your age. Next year, 100 years since the psalm. Some 18, 17, 19, 20-year-old Fitzroy kid lying, dying on a battlefield, having given their life. If they asked the question today, would they be saying, we won that war. I bet you the world's so much better place than it was before I died to set it free. Of course that takes us, as the song did, to the other war that's over. For the first time as full members, this wine and this bread is for you. You come as full members. Now, what point would there have been of those guys sacrificing their lives if we would continue to live in a war-stained world? And what point for Jesus to have died on a cross and been raised to life if we didn't live 10-10 in the world that we live in? C.S. Lewis, First Narnia Chronicle. They get into Narnia with magic rings. Wristbands, maybe even. But they get into Narnia and they come through a shach. I want to know how to spell shach. I love the word shach, but I can never spell it. So they come into... C.S. Lewis doesn't call it a shach, by the way. They come into this new world through this kind of manky pool with these magic rings. And they're looking around them at Narnia. A whole new world like they've never seen. And C.S. Lewis gets a bit sexist at this point. It wouldn't go down well in Fitzroy. Because Polly, or Keela, or Kira, or Lewis, the girl with the rings, goes, Could we not just go back home again because this is a bit scary? And is it Diggory, the other one, who says, What's the point of getting magic rings? that takes you into a whole new kingdom if you don't explore that kingdom when you get there. Guys, in a moment I'm going to ask you up here to take vows. And I want to ask you as you take those vows and hopefully when I'm long gone you might be up here doing this or you might be the Graham of your generation. You might take them through communicants classes or you might be the Paul Bowman or the Anna Boyd or the elders, wherever. I want you to remember that I said to you this moment, there is no point of Jesus coming to live and dying to be raised to life if you guys live anything less than a 10-10 life in all its fullness. And that's my prayer for you. Today, and on into the future with the gifts that you guys have, and you have amazing gifts, what you can do for God if you say, I got the magic rings. I got the cross and the resurrection to lead me into this kingdom. I'm going to adventure and explore in the power of the Spirit what I can do for God in my life. The war is won. What new world will you guys begin in the power of the Spirit? Come on forward. Graham, do you want to... Am I definitely off this forever? Oh, oh, we're getting a new one. Thank you very much.
Graham has been um, <clears throat> taking them through communicants classes these last number of weeks. Um, seriously, Graham, we do thank you because they do, they love you. <laughs> um, 